talking about comedy destroys it. But if you're going to break it down, he starts the the Michael Jackson stuff with saying, "I don't believe them." I don't right. believe the accusers. And then in the in the ensuing bit, he basically acknowledges, yeah, they probably got fucked. They probably had to suck their dick. Yeah. Prob- I mean, so on one, he says, I didn't believe him. And it shocks everybody, which opens a door for him to then say, now let's take a look at, and I love the line. It's like, I know this is harsh, but these kids have to be, have to be taught that a, a, there is no such thing as a free trip to Hawaii. <laughs> I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. The Literate Apecast is a production of literateape.com, and the apes would like to advise you that inappropriate language and themes may follow. If you are easily triggered, best to go listen to a public radio podcast. Cause quite the kerfluffle. I like to use the word kerfluffle now. It's a good word. Quite the kerfluffle among uh, the woke. Um, And he's been on this track with the woke for a couple of years now with all of his specials where he really likes to take on. And this is, and I wrote a piece uh, last week. Um, the, The argument is that, and it's a sad and it's a stale and it's the same argument um, where the argument is you're making fun of transgender people. And that's not what he's, in my nope. opinion, in my opinion, he's not making fun of transgender people. He's making fun of the woke transgender movement. Dave Chappelle is that's doing... That's a different thing. Dave Chappelle is doing what he's always done. Yep. Is he is he is attacking the squeaky wheel. Yeah. Uh, you know, his, his, his comedy has always been that way. He's always been button pusher and envelope pusher uh you know lenny bruce eddie murphy uh you know who are the other comedians that that put fuck andrew dice clay for that i mean maybe. george carlin george carlin of course right? yeah you know um, bill hicks i would argue that not as much bill hicks because i think not bill, as much bill hicks but bill some. hicks was more well even george carlin for that matter bill hicks and carlin were thoughtful and they were like telling you shit that like oh i didn't think of it that way yeah but Dave Chappelle is a little bit like a shock jock. I don't think he's... Oh, yeah. Like, Andrew Dice Clay was making, you know, fucking racist, sexist jokes to be shocking. Yeah, as a character. Yeah, Uh, Chappelle is doing it to show how... I I think to show how insane uh, those kind of insults can be and to just kind of be like, yeah, isn't that fucked up? People say this shit and I'm... You well, know, and I'm, I'm I also, nudging you a little bit. And I also think he's, he's uh, I mean, there's a lot of things. The thing about it is I really like the special, and I didn't see it at 5 o'clock in the morning. I saw it at night. Um, and what was so funny was- So as long as was, the sun is down, it's an okay special. Okay, is if that you watch the way it, it works? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. The, these two test subjects, apparently. It's one of the things that I read this uh, the other day after that. It's like, and I just want to read this quote, and I'm not going to cite the source because I don't remember where I copied it from, but it says, but Chappelle is not unique in taking this path. Instead, his turn toward increasingly confrontational outrage comedy is merely evidence of a common mindset that has corrupted comedy and much of American discourse in general. Progressive cultural criticism is somehow an existential threat. Now, the thing I think is interesting about that phrase by itself is, first of all, it's not like he took a turn. He's always 
been this confrontational. Always. It's just that he's confronting people the woke don't like. Or the, the woke like, and they don't like him doing it. But the second thing is, and I'll put this out and then I'll just leave it to you, is the idea that, that this, this confrontational outrage comedy taking pot shots at the woke is a recognition that progressive cultural criticism is somehow an existential threat. I don't find it any more an existential threat than I do a child throwing a tantrum in a fucking Walmart. Dude, it's fucking yeah. annoying. It's yeah. annoying. It's not an existential threat. It's just a fucking pain in the ass to have to listen to. You know, it's really funny about <laughs> what connects these two dots for me right now, what you just said. So yesterday, uh, Harry uh, had a fever, woke up with a fever and was sick and miserable all day and I, I might have said this before at least you and I have talked about this that Harry when Harry throws a tantrum it is like Katie's kryptonite he just when he does his I'm a year and a half old and and just fucking does it it wrecks her it sucks all the life and energy and desire like every, it just sucks the life out of her and she gets short and shitty and me I'm just like yeah man fucking have it out are you done let's figure you know so it, it, Katie is certainly more I don't want to say she's more woke than me but she's more sensitive to the woke issues and I just wonder you know there's a correlation there I think between well, the goes, child tantrum and, and what upsets you it's, out it's there an, in the world it's an interesting and I don't think it's because I think hypocrisy has to be conscious you know, I don't know if there's it's like unconscious bias. I don't think there's an unconscious hypocrisy. I just think it, it kind of, but there is a, there's a, I think a if most people knew they were being, but, if they were conscious of their hypocrisy, they might adjust it. Well, there's, but the thing, yeah, I think so. But I think there's a disconnect in that. And I'll give, uh, speaking Katie, to specifically to Katie and, and, uh, and Harrison is that, and I know just from talking to Katie, Katie is of the woke era where, where it says, unleashing your emotions like letting your emotions out mm -hmm. is a good positive thing and yet her reaction to Harrison when he's upset and screaming is to suppress <laughs> it to do anything to prevent him from having those emotional outbursts so it's like on one hand we have well, we should to be healthy and again it goes to the you know going back to men is that you know the idea is that men have been trained not to let their emotions just kind of free flow and just kind of get them out of their system. Yeah. And yet his mother, Harrison's mother, who is very woke, very progressive, a lovely woman who does believe that she wants to raise the best man is doing yeah. what every mother to every man has ever done, which is I will do anything. So you're not crying. And I, I will try everything. And I know, like for an example, yeah. it's, it's one I, I of don't, things. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's that black okay. and white. Maybe I'm maybe I'm taking it too far. But that's that, I, that's one I, of the things that I think that 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 statement may hold um, more water as he gets older and begins to because right now he can't communicate. Like he cannot say I don't feel well, and then we yeah. can't explain to him why he doesn't. Feel, like we can't have that conversation, so he knows. You know, like he's just like I'm not hungry because I have to poop. Like, he doesn't know yeah, how yeah, to communicate yeah, that. So I think the suppression is like, we just want to figure out what's wrong with you. I think let's fast forward to when he's 10, and he's like, I have a stomach ache, and flips the fuck out. Then it'll be different. Like, then you need to not... 
you know, manage your emotions a little bit, like let it out. But well, I mean, if you're like my I, mom, because my mom was, you know, 15 when she had me. If you're like my mom, by the time I got to my, you know, teenage years and I was filled with existential angst and everything was horrifying and bad. Uh, even before my teenage years, actually, I was yeah. I was highly dramatic as an eight year old. Oh God, um, me too. You know, but uh, but what mom's reaction was is what she couldn't deal with my sadness. You know, if mm-hmm. I had if I was overly dramatic and I was sad, she couldn't handle it and would piss her off. It would make my mom mad that she yeah. couldn't make me feel better or that I, she couldn't make me be happy. So she'd spank me. That makes if sense. I, if I was too if I was too morose yeah. and too existential and whiny. That she'd spank me. It's God damn it, you're going to be happy. Yep, Which that lines up. Has has completely crippled me emotionally as an adult. Yeah, but it makes for a it's hell of a sex life, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's why I'm perpetually upbeat, but always kind of angry. Yeah. Well, okay, so but going back to... Yeah. <laughs> before we get into abusive mothers... No, no, it, I don't <laughs> consider my mother deep. abusive no, at all. No, I know. I know. No. No, nor do I think that Katie's abusive. But no, yeah, I, I mean, Harry, so. Harrison is still young. There's plenty of time for us to become terrible, horrible, abusive parents. Yeah, you're, you're on um, your way for that, yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, but so back to Chappelle thing. I, the one part of, of the special that made me go... Is when he talks about... He's talking about trans. Like, if he identifies... Where he says, if I was a Chinese person born in this big black body. Yeah. And he'd have to walk around. He, you know, does like the, the Mickey Rooney uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's version of, yeah. a, of well, a Chinese I mean, that's, person. That's and, an old but hack I don't, joke. It's an old hack joke. And I don't think that he's doing that to, like, that's not the funny part. The funny part is the absurdity of the idea that now anybody can say anything and do anything. And and he's also got a safe spot because he's also talking about his wife. He says, "My wife hates when I does that when I do that joke." Yeah, because she's Chinese. Like he's admitting it's a bad thing, but he does it anyway because that's what Chappelle does. He goes, "Oh, you don't like it? Well, fuck you. I'm going to do it anyway," because I'm in on the joke with you. You just sometimes might not realize that I'm not making fun of you. Well, he starts. The thing is, he starts the special off doing two impressions. Uh, one, one is one is right. sort of like let me make yeah. fun of the idea of doing impressions, which was actually you know I mean, it, and that's a that's an Andy Kaufman bit from a thousand years ago. But then he does the other impression, which is basically I'm going to tell you what I think you, the audience, the people that are watching me. I'm going to tell you what you sound like to me, and you're mm-hmm. a bunch of whiny assholes. Mm-hmm. And then proceeds to show them in their reaction to the shit that he puts out there what whiny assholes they are. Yeah. He challenges, he basically looks at the audience and says, you're too offended, you're going to look for anything you can to take me down, and so now that I have told you this, now that I've told you you're a bunch of whiny shits, your challenge is, are you really whiny shits? And then he goes and proceeds, and I think the Chinese thing is a, an example of, I'm going to take this, I mean, he does the whole thing, saying like, I'm a victim blamer. The thing is, he's not yeah, a victim blamer. He's but not. He's going for places after, and, and I think that's what I think a lot of people are missing. Maybe I'm wrong, and, and that's okay, I'll, I'll admit when I, if I'm wrong, but my perspective was, he basically just told the audience, you're a bunch of snowflakes. I mean, uh-huh. in, in, in whatever parlance you want to use, he basically said, you're all weak and you're super hyper offended and you're looking to take me down because of stuff I've said. So now that I've told you that you are, and these are people that came and paid money to see him. Yeah. 
You know, more importantly than the Netflix special that he's talking to us watching on Netflix, he's talking to that audience. And he and basically tells some them. Some people paid $800 to see him on well, Broadway. That was, yeah, that was the Broadway. <laughs> but he tells them, this is who you are. You're super hyper offended. And now that I've told you this and your internal reaction is, that's not me. Because that's what anybody would do. Any normal yeah. person, if I looked at you and said, yeah, you're a weak ass and you're just going to be offended by everything I say, then your mental instinct is, oh, no, no, that's not me. That's other people. And then he proceeds to to go for every possible touch point that will will offend mm-hmm. that audience in his best way as he can, and to see if they are actually that person. And you could hear it in the laughter. Yeah. You could hear it in the laughter that he's that he gets is that some of it's really uncomfortable. And I think it's like when he goes to the Michael Jackson thing and he and he talks yeah. about I mean the joke what's what's the joke is uh actually I think the first one was that's the things is he he talks about uh Bourdain yeah. being suicide and I love the thing yes, that's is the that the second man best that joke job in the whole thing. himself from a luxury suite in France. I mean he makes this point. Well Bourdain is sort of a sacred figure. Yeah. And even to me, you know. Yeah. And yep. so to to take that on, you could hear the audience like Laugh, mm-hmm. but not not com- you know you could see that they were you could hear that they were just not comfortable laughing about that because it was like it was a skewering of one of their sacred cows and they didn't they, you know and it's, it's not like that what is he it said, too soon yeah yeah and it's not that what he said wasn't completely accurate this was a very depressed man but who had the best job in the world and was one of the coolest people in the world and jet setted and was, and it was actually a really lovely man mm-hmm. and, you know, and he still killed himself. And so it, it it's a, it's an area that people aren't comfortable confronting and well, that's why he hits it. He hits and, it and right he does on the it, head. He does it in such a great way because he talks about like, here's Anthony Bourdain who had quote unquote everything. Great job, whatever. Then he tells a story of his buddy that he went to high school with or whatever it was, who's a forty six year old footlocker manager. And that guy's never thought of killing himself, like in comparison. So that's the joke. And then he says, yeah. uh, you never know what's going on inside. Yeah. I mean, so he know, like he, makes... he humanizes it. Like he's not making fun of Bourdain or he's not saying this guy should actually kill himself. But here's the other thing is that we've we've landed and a place where stand-up comedy, or all comedy, maybe it's even all forms of art, now have to have depth and meaning. Yeah. And need to be taken seriously as artisanal craft work that is a statement on our zeitgeist and who we are as a people and a planet. And, yeah, I mean... Did Bill Hicks tap into some of that shit to George Carlin? Yeah. Was that their goal? I think they were just writing jokes, and this was where their point of view took well, and, them. And I, I don't the, know. I'm not The them. thing is, this is the difference between um, – and, and, and I, it's one of those things. I, th- I think it's fascinating in that sort of if you look at the evolution of stand-up comedy. I remember – a time in the eighties where standups decided that, that, and I don't know where it came from. It could, it could have come from Carlin. It could have come from a lot, but they stopped writing jokes mm-hmm. and started weaving stories and bits into a larger sort of tapestry. I remember this guy named Jimmy Tingle and he did. So it was, that was the thing. Jimmy was a standup, but he wasn't doing a standup show. He was doing a one man show. Yeah, and, you know, and it was very different. But there was this whole period in the '80s that I recall in Chicago, um, 
late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm. where 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 the best standups, the standups that were at least in the most popular in the in Chicago, were doing sort of these one man show like. I'm going to spin this. And the thing I think is interesting about Chappelle, if you, I mean, if, instead of just me being knee jerk about specific jokes, because he tells jokes, but the jokes all serve sort of like this almost, and, and sometimes he's successful, sometimes he's not, but they serve sort of an overarching narrative of the way he's seeing the world right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost, it is, it's why the Netflix special is such an interesting thing because it basically is a one-man show it's the hannah gadsby that's all that is it's there's there's jokes hannah gadsby as as he's i'm sorry just did it yeah yeah there's jokes but the jokes are not to be taken as as, independently they're not to be taken as as whole morsels they're a part of something larger and if you start to pick apart those jokes you miss you tend at least my experience is that you tend to miss that there is an overarching narrative yeah. that's coming around and his overarching narrative. I mean, I, I just want to read another quote just because you made me think of something. This is uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, um, who wrote about America, democracy in America, oh so many years ago. You know, before America yep. was America, he said, "Democratic nations will habitually prefer the useful to the beautiful, and they will require that the beautiful be useful." And one of the things I think is uh, along those lines is that we are now in a way that we haven't. There was a period of time where stand-up, the most popular stand-ups were people that avoided any kind of uh, social commentary. It's Carrot Top and it's fucking Gallagher. Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, uh, Steve Martin. I mean, let's be honest. Gallagher was social, but he was in a weird... Yeah, well, yeah, I don't think it was that. Mostly it's like, let's just, our job is simply to make you laugh. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Will Ferrell is not terribly political, but he'll make you fucking laugh. On the other hand- Ellen DeGeneres, who is like the poster child, and I think rightfully so, but the poster child for gay, lesbian, LGBTQ, I guess however you want to frame it, um, success story coming out the way she did and what she's been able to do since then. But- you know, she's not the messiah of comedy because no, she just remember she, she was she literally has a joke about airplane food with the chicken grill marks, and she's talking about hey Charlie, yeah. throw another one. Like I mean, she is that like it's the early Seinfeld prototypical it's the early Seinfeld yeah. sort of observational comedy, and that's just so, to make you laugh. It's, but there's ma- no- maybe that's the thing though is that is that it's not that we're reading too far into the jokes the audience expecting like it ha- all has to have meaning. This is what the comedians did. Yeah. Aziz Ansari, Hannah Gadsbury, uh, Dave Sh- Gadsby, sorry. It's not um, Gadsbury. She's not I'm an just, I'm so ready for Easter. I'm so I ready for see, Easter. I can hear it. Yeah. Uh, you can't, you can't, I mean, that's, that's going to be taken the wrong way because yeah. the eggs in the womb and she's female. Don't go for the egg thing. All right. The, the Gadsbury. I didn't, I didn't mean to. So yeah, Aziz Ansari, Hannah Gadsbury, uh, <laughs> Dave Chappelle, they're doing it to themselves. You know, they're creating these jokes that if they were just <laughs> jokes, they'd probably mean nothing, but they're put in this framework of meaningfulness. Yeah. You know, Aziz Ansari's special was all up. I mean, the framework was the Me Too movement. Chappelle's was the framework of celebrity. Yeah. And celebrity and the woke. Yeah. You know, and, well, I, and it's, I mean, his life. It's, this is all, this is all John Stewart's fault. Um, because, uh, and, okay. and, and I'll tell you, and I'm going to follow me with this because the thing about it is Monty Python was very political. 
Uh-huh. I mean, they took on religion in a country that was hyper-religious in a way that nobody had, I mean, you know, in, in early days, they would have been hung by fucking pikes because uh-huh. they were, you know, but so they were very political. Mel and Brooks. It, and Mel Brooks was political very political. And, and equally as screw, equally as, but screwy in that but same John, kind of way. John yeah. Stewart, because yeah. I don't know if you remember The Daily Show before John Stewart, but Craig Kilborn was in it. Craig Kilborn did The Daily Show. And The Daily Show was just, let's make fun of the news. And it was fairly benign. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, kind of equal opportunity. And Craig Kilborn was slightly charming, but not terribly, terribly funny. Right. Kind of smarmy. Right. And uh, so that was what it was. And at the time, you had uh, Bill Maher doing Comedy Central's Politically Incorrect, mm-hmm. which that was, I'm really going to try to take on this stuff and do this stuff, which then got canceled. Um, but then John Stewart came along, and he was both very political and incredibly funny. And he had this great balance of being able to really get to the heart, in his opinion, the heart of political discourse and also do dick jokes and poop jokes, like yeah. like almost pivot in such a fast way that you, you just couldn't catch up. It's like, here, I'm going to talk about abortion rights and then I'm going to make a pee joke and yeah. get this goofy grin. And it just worked in that format. And John, I think- John Oliver does that. Really exactly, well, too. With that's exactly. When John Oliver yeah. learned it all from is, John Stewart. Right. And so yep. when you look at comedy, and specifically stand-up comedy, there is a great influence from that. Is like, how do we deal with political things? Because we are looking for comedians now to, you know, really make our political points for us in some ways. And how do you do that in a way that's still funny, mm-hmm. but also is still giving out the point of view? And I think Dave Chappelle's point of view is he... He does, and this is my 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 experience watching the Chappelle Show and every special he's ever done. He doesn't go after individuals unless they're famous. Jesse right. Smollett, he goes after that. Him. He goes after R. Kelly. That was you know fun. I mean yeah. he goes he goes after famous people in the way that you know he talks about it's terrible to be a time to be a celebrity, but then every individual that he takes on is a celebrity. So that's one of the funny things. And but then when he takes on, he doesn't take on individual gay people or individual nope. transgender people or survivors in general. What he does is he takes on the movements and and sort of pokes holes yeah. in the sacredness of those movements in a way that is, you know, I mean, if you're a part of those movements, sure. I mean, if you're a white supremacist. During yeah. the Chappelle show, oh, it, very I good was, chance that you yeah. were highly fucking offended by his commentary on that, um, mm-hmm. for the same reason that I know uh, he did the reparation sketch mm-hmm. that basically made fun of black people suddenly getting reparations. Yeah, you know, it was making fun of a sacred cow of the the critical race theorists, and he and, tur- he takes everything and he turns it on his head. Like I don't yeah. with the with the Michael Jackson bit. I don't know if he really thinks Michael Jackson was innocent. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But what he I think did he does. is he took, but it doesn't matter because what yeah. he did is he took the thing that you cannot say and he said it. And that makes us laugh because we're a little uncomfortable and be like, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're going to get fucking abused, better Michael Jackson than well, some I, fucking creep at the, at a rest here, stop. You know, I, here's the thing I think is, here's the thing I think is funny okay. about it is if you really break it down and again, talking about comedy destroys it. But if you're going to break it down, he starts the, the Michael Jackson stuff with saying, I don't believe them. 
I don't right. believe the accusers. And then in the in the ensuing bit, he basically acknowledges, yeah, they probably got fucked. They probably had to suck their dick. Yeah. Prob- I mean, so on one, he says, I didn't believe him. And it shocks everybody, which opens a door for him to then say, now let's take a look at, and I love the line. It's like, I know this is harsh, but these kids have to be have to be taught that a, a there is no such thing as a free trip to Hawaii. Yeah. Which is in in a way such an indictment of the parents of those kids. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cuz those parents should know if a hyper celebrity who's a little weird and has monkeys in a ranch and surrounds himself with children, yeah. it's a pretty good chance that his free trip to Hawaii and I want to have sleepovers with their kids is probably a little unsavory. But that, you know, so he gets to that point. So he says, I don't believe them, but then basically says, yeah, they're probably right, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to see that point. I'm going to make fun of the idea that their parents let him do this. And, you know, and, and it was, I, you know, and I love the idea if you're going to be molested, why not be molested by the King of Pop? And that's, right. right. it's not nice to say, but it is funny. It's, it's funny because it's, it's a sacred cow. You're not supposed yeah. to say it. You're taking... You're breaking down the. You're walking into a cotillion school and you're shooting it up. Yeah. Base. Yeah. And, uh, that was a it, terrible analogy, but yeah. No, that was a really bad analogy. But I, it makes me think, and I'm gonna throw this out and see what you have to say. Is is it, we were talking about sort of like, and again, I don't think it's I don't think it's hypocrisy necessarily, but it's definitely a disconnect. Yeah. Is that on the one hand, when mass shooters come out and the and the the GOP talking pundits say it was video games. It's video games that are doing right. right. They say it's video games and movies. Okay, if and and we on the left go, that's the stupidest fucking thing I ever heard in my life. Video games and movies don't make people monsters, right? But on the flip side, if it's not video games and movies, if if culture and cultural is not a factor in people being violent, hateful monsters, right? On the flip side, you can't say that a comic saying things about transgender movement is somehow hurting anyone. If, if you're going to make the argument that words and a stand-up comedy special is, is damaging and hateful and violent, and then on the other side say, but video games violence where you shoot people up has no effect on people with guns, right. you've, made, you've created a disconnect in your, in your worldview. And it's a flood argument. Two, so put them together. It's either culture has no influence on our behavior or culture has a lot of influence on behavior. And then you have to open up the argument and go, eh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I and, certainly have opinions, but I think it's an interesting disconnect in the left and the right. And, and what is it that he says in the show where he's, oh God, he talks about how somebody wrote about how he did something in some sketch or said something in some stand-up special and it like changed the way people did things. This one, he's talking to the trans woman at the bar. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. She. the The idea was that uh, that he he normalized transgender by making fun of them. At least that's the story. But that he was tells. It, that he didn't because he he talked about something and normalized it, and that was like a bad thing because he normalized something. He's oh, okay. like, but you you make you make jokes about transgender people. Why aren't they giving you credit for normalizing that? Yeah, you know, and I don't I don't remember what the first thing was, but yeah, it's like why is everything you you get vilified for one but you won't be championed for the other. It's the same. You're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, well, one it's of just things we're I picking thought, and choosing I got what, to a, what the effect a Facebook is, or what affects with us. some folks. And one of the things I, I thought that, was yeah. very funny is I made, I made the comment. I mean, basically my comment was, you know, maybe, maybe 
it's interesting to think that instead of saying, oh, he's 50 years old and he's... He's only aged, 46. He's aged out of funny. Maybe he's doing exactly what he's always done. And, and now skewering the woke is no different than skewering the white supremacist of like 20 years ago. He's skewering the thing. I said, you know, and I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying it's maybe a little self-reflection. And the, art, the best argument was, you know what? I don't believe his bullshit story about the transgender woman after in the epilogue. That was bullshit. He said this. And it's like, so you're going to pick apart the one moments and not look at the whole. So you, when he says, yeah. when he says, you know, he does the car analogy, which I thought was actually a really good analogy of it's perfect. And the alpha people. Gays and lesbians a, don't always get along. Look at, yeah, look at, real, in Chicago, Boys Town and Andersonville. Funny. Yeah, it was very <laughs> funny. And I thought it was on point in, in yeah. sort of a stereotyped way, but it was yeah. funny. Yeah. But you hear that and you go, oh, that's offensive. But then you hear, and I believe everything he said. He's being truthful about his opinion, and this is how he feels. He's a terrible homophobe and transphobe. But then he says the other thing. You go, yeah, that's bullshit. I mean, it's either all bullshit or it's not bullshit. You have to you have right. to kind of parse that out. You can't say, oh, I, don't know, I think I think when he says something I disagree with, that's what he really means. Mm -hmm. But if he says something that I think would be, you know, like supporting his position. That's bullshit. It's like, nah. Yeah, you can't you can't pick and choose that stuff. Now, I will say, I don't I didn't think that this special, like the last two that I saw, they're I laugh. They're they're funny. Yeah, yeah. Dave Chappelle's a very smart, uh, smart guy, really t tight comedian, talented comedian. Um, I do not think he's as funny as Chappelle's show because Chappelle's show had. Well, they were. It was, I mean, a, it was a different show. kind of thing. Yes, it was a different kind yeah. of thing. So I don't know if people are comparing that. His earlier stand-up, you know, early two thousands, the nineties, um, I didn't think was that funny to, anyway because I wasn't a weed smoker at that time, and a lot of his yeah. jokes were about we being black and smoking weed, and I could yeah. not relate to any of that at all. But I think Carlin is a good example of a comedian that I, he didn't age out. He just Got less angrier. funny, in my opinion. Because well, the thing about it is Carlin went from doing jokes about the words you can't say on television and sort of this Borscht Belt sort of... Uh, I mean, that's what Carlin... And I actually think Carlin's fascinating is because I think he went the same track that Lenny Bruce went, mm -hmm. but in, it took him a wait because he lived longer and he wasn't yeah. a heroin addict. Right. You know, because if you look at Lenny Bruce, Lenny Bruce's early career was all sort of Borscht Belt, Catskills kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then he, then in the '60s, he got a little bit more political, and then he got nailed for being political. When he and when then, he does seven minutes on the N word, or yeah, and then <laughs> and then because because they 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 took him, you know, they took him to court for saying cocksucker in a public place. Then he suddenly went to nothing but rage, and some of it, some of his yeah. stuff in those later those later bits were funny. But mm -hmm. it was, but what you walked away more from was how angry he was, and yeah. so you look at Carlin. Carlin started same way. His early career was bits, Borscht mm -hmm. Belt yep. jokes, language jokes, a lot of lot of a lot of humor derived from how we use words, all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. As he got older and older, he became more and more bitter about society and got angrier. And I still think what he said was brilliant, but it wasn't as funny as it was. Insightful, insightful, right? And, yep, 100%. and I think, yep. I think, I think uh, Chappelle. I, and the thing about it is, I actually don't think Chappelle is a, a comic genius. 
I think Chappelle is just a very. I mean, I've heard people say, "Oh, he's the voice of a generation." No, no, I don't think Chappelle's a voice of a generation. I would say that. I think he's uh, a very, com- very funny comic who does things that you're not supposed to do. Um, I yeah. think he's quite creative. I think his last couple of specials, he's. It, it's it's that he's having such I don't, I don't know if it's he's having a hard time but what it seems to me is that he's using blunter and blunter instruments mm-hmm. to beat the same thing because I don't think he's doing anything differently now than he was doing when the Chappelle show was there. I he's think what attacking. he's doing is he's he's just he's just using more blunt instruments because he can't seem to crack that egg. He can't, you know, that that Hannah Gadsbury egg. He can't crack it. I know. I had to bring it back. <laughs> I had to bring it back. I had to. He can't I, crack I think... that egg, so he's just using harder and harder. So his 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 humor is more and more blunt and more and more uh, aggressive. Well, yeah, and and I think that's what's happening to him. That com- combined with the with the target because his, yeah. er, his earlier stand-up stuff he was targeting um let's say uh, from the point of view or he was looking at like that he attacks hypocrisy and and lazy thinking whether yeah. it's about how we approach drugs and race how we approach uh uh politics and race or just i mean race is a big thing you yeah. know for his early stand-up and and Chappelle's show certainly yeah. um but he's always taken, taken down the lazy thinking and how we approach. Like well, he did, he, I mean, the joke about that he did in this in Sticks and Stones about the trans person. If he just if a, a if he was a Chinese person born in that black body, it's the same uh, uh, vehicle as the Chappelle Show sketch where the Grand Dragon Wizard, that's whatever the exactly fuck they're called, what it is, is a black guy. Yeah, you know, you take off the hood and there's a black guy underneath. Yeah, like, what the like, fuck? This well, doesn't. And I, you know, that's one of my, it's one the of my, same my, joke. One of my same points point of the view. piece that I wrote was uh, that, and this is one of the things I think is interesting, is I actually think right now, and I understand that the thing is I don't disagree with the idea that people people are, are confused. when it comes Specifically when it comes to Me Too, when it comes, I think everybody's tired of Me Too. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I, I think everybody think it's is tired confused. of me too. I think, I think it's I think the... they're confused by the transgender but uh, issues. But here's the thing I think is interesting is he's speaking to an audience and I think that audience is the majority of the country who are confused. They're not animosity. They don't have animosity towards the transgender movement, but they're confused by what they need to do. What 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 is expected of them in these situations? And I think he's speaking to that. And I think you sent me a graphic that I thought was fascinating. <laughs> this is this is the Rotten Tomatoes. Is that if you look at? I just think this funny. Is if you look at the the documentary about uh, the squad bringing down the house, very woke bringing down, knock down the house, knock down the house. Um, that that the the critics consensus is it has one hundred percent tomatoes. But the audience consensus is that only 35% of the audience liked it. Okay. Right. And, and, and this is inexact. And, you know, but they've already, they've, but the thing is, to, to make, Rotten Tomatoes is always, they've already gate kept as much as they can. Yeah. So, like, people can't uh, comment. They can't do that if they haven't seen the movie, if the movie hasn't come out yet, that kind of stuff. Right. right. Then you see, so, so the, basically, if you look at this graphic, all the critics, Love knocked down the house about the squad coming in and the progressive movement taking over Washington, right? Sure. But only 35% of the audience gave a shit. 
Yeah. Flip that around. Dave Chappelle, Sticks and Stones. 29% of the critics like Sticks and Stones. The critics did not like Sticks and Stones. But 99% of the audience loved Dave Chappelle, Sticks and Stones. So there is a... There is, it, it, again, it's one of those things where the just because you've got the loudest megaphone doesn't mean there's that many of you. And when you are a tiny minority of the country trying to force an agenda, you got to be more creative than just yelling at people. I've been saying that since, since 2014. It's like you've got to be more creative than lecturing people, telling them they're, they're shitty for thinking the way they do. You've got to be more nuanced than that. And I understand the idea that, hey, it's not my emotional labor to teach you about racism or to teach you about what it's like to be transgender. But the fact is, if you decide as someone that is a transgender activist that it's not your job to explain basic human decency to people that don't understand it, then you are relegated to a minority screaming at people. You, yeah. It is your job because the majority of this country I don't, and the thing is, I don't think the majority of Americans have some hostility toward transgender. I just think they're confused. Yeah. And 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 confusion is generally taken care of with explanation. With explanation. And 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 rather than lecturing and and shaming, that's just all. I, you know. Let's let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and let's talk about the approach. I think we need to take here. Hey, I'm Josh Bell. I'm Jason Harris. Hey, Josh, we're friends in real life, but we're also co-hosts on this new podcast called Awesome Movie Year, where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies and do a deep dive looking at movies, including the best picture winner, the biggest movie at the box office, future cult classics, and more. Including the biggest flop. And this season, we're doing 1994. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. That could be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We're all over the web as well. We've got Awesome Movie Year on all the socials and awesomemovieyear.com. So please like us, subscribe. And uh, if you do like us, give us a five-star rating because we love you. The problem with the woke is not that they're woke. That's good. Being awake is good. Recognizing the differences, reaching out to understand. The problem is... Uh, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I agree on a thousand almost percent. all aspects of life, in any topic, between any group of people or individuals, Katie could tell me that I should give up writing, that I'm a shit writer, that I never had any business fucking around with this little sport here. Uh, she could tell it to me in one way that might make me go, God, you're right, and you know what, I'm going to go to law school and... Maybe I'll just do it as a hobby, whatever, but thank you. That was a good that was a good talk and thank you for your support. Or she could say it in a way that makes me go, fuck you, you don't support me, you hate me, go fuck yeah. fuck yourself. And there's a lot of ways in between. Well, there's I mean, like, yeah. And and I think that's it's a really important thing to consider for those of us on the left, uh, as we approach the twenty twenty election. Because as I've said before, the Dude, reason that ship has sailed. I'm sorry. I think that ship has sailed. We might be able to turn it around, though. I think we might be able to yep. catch it and turn it around. Ship has sailed. I mean, I, I'm scared, but that that you're right. But and the thing that makes the me the saddest that the, about, that the, about the left are winning is because of it's not what they say; it's how they say it. Obama won 
because he was hopeful. How he said what he said. He was about and unifying Trump, people. And Trump did the exact had the exact same marketing plan. Yeah, he as just Obama. did it for other people. He just united different yep. people. And the thing is, the reason I'm I'm and I'm not afraid of it. Uh, the thing that makes me the the most interesting thing to me is, and I've talked to a lot of you know, like I still have some of the 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 white. The white guys looking for woke points, you know, yeah. on my on my on my Facebook. And one of the things I think is interesting is that they've set up this brilliant. I mean, it's it's the most brilliant dodge ever of justification, which is if Trump wins, or if Trump doesn't win, if we beat Trump, it's because our identity politics and public shaming and canceling and calling people out worked. Right. But if Trump wins, it's because America's bigoted. I mean, there's no, they don't lose anyway. They, there's no self-reflection on maybe my strategy isn't right. working. No, no. If it, their strategy doesn't work, it's not that their strategy didn't work. It's that we're all a bunch of fucking stupid assholes. That is the the, the least self-reflective well, perspective I can imagine. Not that we're all a bunch of stupid assholes. They are all well, a bunch of stupid they. assholes. Well, it's always they. It's the other. It's Yeah, it's always and the other. That's, that, that is a play out of the Trump a play out of the out of the Trump book because yeah. Trump in 2016 he was already setting it up that if he lost it was Hillary Clinton cheated exactly and if he won it was legit so you don't and get he's the pick. doing that again now and there was something I read when I was reading a um, some reviews on the Chappelle just to see what other people were saying there's a Wall Street Journal opinion story called Dave Chappelle is stuck in the 80s yep uh, which is a little I have to subscribe to read it. Well, I read it on my phone. Whatever. Anyway, I want to find, the, I want to find the, the quote. But he's basically saying uh, this author, um, Jason Riley, who, according to his picture on the website, looks like an older black guy, sounds con- a little conservative, which is fine. I mean, it's the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, but he's, he's conservative, about, but he also, he also identifies with they and their pronouns. That's cool. Yeah. But he talks about how we live in an era or an age, whatever, of... I'm very loosely paraphrasing, of uh, you no longer can blame yourself. You no longer have you can accept self-responsibility. You know, uh, the NRA is responsible for mass shootings. Drug companies are responsible for the opioid, op- opioid epidemic, which I do ag- agree with that. To some, he's saying that that's not true, that there is some level of, of self um Doctors are to blame. Doctors are to blame for the yeah, opioid. So I don't agree with what I mean, he's saying. It's not, but there it's is, not the but pharmaceutical right. companies. It's the doctors that prescribe those pills to people that need it. That went to a doctor and said, it's, "I mean, to me, it's the same as if." I mean, it sounds like I've always said this: is if you sued in the seventies, if you sued a cigarette company for getting cancer because you fucking smoke cigarettes, then you're a fucking boob. Mainly because anybody that actually thought smoking cigarettes by the time you're getting to the 70s was good for you is a fucking moron and probably should dar- be darwined out well i mean this, this is, is the thing this is if a conversation were, that we could if doctors were prescribing cigarettes you couldn't blame the cigarette companies or the people you could say doctors who are our trusted authorities of our health prescribed that shit and so if it had deleterious effect that's who should be taken down. Yes. And the opioid crisis, it's not because they created basically legal heroin, because that's all it is. It's yeah. the same, you know, it's opioids, they're just legal yeah. heroin. And you can't blame the people that were in pain and needed this stuff. You blame the doctors who overprescribed this shit in such mass amounts that people became massively addicted and are dying from it. That's I mean, the doctor's there are, fault. There are some systemic problems. There's, you know, the fudging of the facts that like Purdue Pharma did. Um, I mean, we know that 
that uh yeah but if a doctor the, who's an the expert in this kind of stuff doesn't bother to do the research on a well, fucking pill that no, he or she yeah. is doing it i'm not i'm not saying the doctors aren't to we blame. turn no. to the doctors they're the experts in our health and we're supposed to listen to them and do what they say right and then we will be healthier and if they took pills that even if they had a suspicion might be addictive opioids perhaps they should have been a little bit less uh, greedy and a little bit more, oh, this is bad for people because they're the experts. If we didn't have careless, greedy doctors, the pharma companies couldn't have gotten as far as they That's did exactly with their bullshit. Right. Yeah. The doctors, nobody buys, nobody went, hey, I'm depressed and, I, and I'm hurting. Let me call Big Pharma and see if they'll send me some pills. Right. Hello, Abbott. Yeah. yeah, they don't do Hello, that. They go to their right. doctor, and their doctor says, here, take these pills, and I'm going to give you lots of them. Yeah. And then when you come back to me, and it really hasn't solved your problem, but now it's created an entirely new problem that's probably mm -hmm. going to kill you, I'll prescribe some more. And then eventually, I'm going to cut you off. And now you're cut off, but yeah. you're addicted to hard toward drugs and you're going to start selling your mom's TV mm. and masturbating for people for $5 until you get more drugs. And then you fuck it. You know I mean? It, yeah, it, that's, yeah. that's, that's the game. And it's an ugly, ugly, ugly game. But the thing that Riley says in this wall street journal article that, that struck me was that we live in a time where there is no more self-responsibility. We cannot accept blame. Trump yeah. can't do it. The left can't do it or won't do it. I don't know which one it is. A combination of both, maybe. And Trump that's problematic. Except the fact that he got it wrong when he when he. That's the funniest thing I've the, seen. It really is the funniest the thing I've seen. Thing. Is he says that the hurricane Dorian is going to hit Alabama, <laughs> and everybody's like, "What the fuck are you talking about? That's stupid." <laughs> and then he spins three three like press conferences with a sharpie demonstrating how he was right. But yeah. It's not physics. The laws of physics don't support that he was right. He fucked up, and instead of being able to get on the news and go, "Yeah, Sorry. I don't really know. I don't really know dick about meteorology," and I kind of, yeah, I, I saw Alabama, and I just thought, "Ah, oh, it's coming for Alabama." I just kind of thought, instead of just admitting that he fucked up, he spent massive news time, yeah, trying to explain how he was right. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the most insane. But the thing of is, it's I, insane. The thing is, I don't think Donald Trump is unique in that. I think everybody's doing that right now because admitting that you made a mistake is like the worst thing that you could possibly do. Because if you make a mistake, you're at risk of being canceled. All right, Simeon cohort. Here's Don and David with the six things you should do for the week. Speaking of mistakes, my first thing is a watch. Uh, it's a film starring Melissa McCarthy. Uh, it came out last year, earlier this year, I'm not sure. Um, but we rented it at Redbox this weekend, or last weekend. Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, okay. Uh, this is a great movie. It's about the the writer Lee Israel. Yep, it's a brilliant. I thought it was great. forges letters from famous people. Yeah. Um, and Melissa McCarthy's amazing in it. She's she really everything. good in it, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a really, really good and funny and dark and sad movie. So quite yeah, lovely. Can you ever, I can you we, ever we saw, forgive me? Yeah, we saw that uh, not too long ago, and we both enjoyed it. My first is a listen. You know, I'm always talking about how you know everybody's everybody's uh, hyperbolic about how this is the worst time for democracy ever, and <gasps> oh my god, the history of the world is coming to an end. <gasps> um, so I like to revisit things. It's a, it's a podcast called Fiasco. 
Um, fiasco revisits the historical political power moves that shaped our country and society into what it is today. Season one starts out on the deep end, covering the unforgettable contested election between Al Gore and George W. Bush in 2000. It's really interesting because it's really just sort of like within the lens of how bad things are, mm-hmm. kind of looking at everything and going, yeah, it's always kind of been fucked up. Yeah. It's called fiasco. It's good. Nothing to see here, people. It's all been the same all along. Anyway, all right. So my next thing is a listen. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes on Spotify, I like to just jump on and see what they're suggesting and give that a go. And So your belief in chaos theory is what you're saying? Sometimes. Okay. Uh, You go into a restaurant and you say, they say, what do you have, Dave? You know, surprise me. Sometimes. And then you just get like this plate of goo and you go, what the fuck is this? They said, you said surprise it. Try it out. Yep. Like, fuck. And I will. Um, well, because I don't I don't get a chance to go to the record stores as often. Because I used to go to record stores and I'd hear, like, what is this? And they're like, oh, it's the, the anniversary. I'm like, great, I'll take it. You know, like that's... Yeah. So anyway, uh, Trisha Yearwood, country legend Trisha Yearwood, married to Garth Brooks. I, She's got a I cooking know who show. She is. And, You're looking uh, at me like, I don't know who she is. I know exactly bl- who she is. Blonde lady identifies as a blonde country star. Yes. Trisha Yearwood. She identifies as a. She probably owns star. a few cowboy boots, cowgirl boot. boots. Okay. Yeah, you know. Maybe she has a few broad. You know Trisha. I do know Trisha Yearwood. So yeah. Trisha's got a new album out. Uh, it's called Every Girl, and it's really fucking good. Not I mean, I said that like it's holy crap. Finally, she's you, turning out you good did, music. <laughs> you did actually say it like what? You mean a cowgirl can do a good country album? I'm so shocked. Who would have thunk it? I didn't know you women could make music. Fucking patriarchal yeah. pig. Right, but give that give that album a listen. It's it's really good, and it's it's got a it's surprisingly poppy. All so right, it's so not it's like yeah. a poppy country thing. That's kind of the yeah. but not annoying. Not like Shania Twain annoying poppy country. But yeah, Trisha right. Yearwood's Every Girl. All right, my second is a read. Um, sort of like, and I've been thinking a lot about how much we as people and as a society adapt to, you know, like horrifying events, that kind of thing. How much, how much should we adapt? How much can we adapt? What do we do to kind of meet the needs of the new sort of thing? And it's sort of like, you know, hurricanes are coming. How are cities physically adapting to that? We've got massive earthquakes that are bound. I mean, it's inevitable that pretty soon California is going to hit. There's going to be an earthquake so big they're going to feel it in New York. So what are we, we know this is happening. What are we as a country doing to adapt to that? And so along those lines, I read this article. It's in uh, Slate.com by Henry Graybar, uh, The Mad Rush to Bulletproof American Schools. Uh, aggression sensors, uh-huh. classroom barricades, how architects are transforming schools for the era of mass shootings. And it's a really interesting read because you you can really see, instead of addressing the problem of mass shootings, there it, it's almost an assumption that we can do nothing about mass shootings except Well, yeah, evil is always pro- going to exist. Or, or pro- you know, so, so the argument is, is that, it, and it's not even an argument they're making. They're just saying this article is just, this is what they're doing to make schools mass shooting safer. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really an interesting article in the lens of it's almost like they've seeded the argument that we're not going to be able to do anything about mass shooting. So the best we can do is make sure our kids are barricaded. And I find that really interesting. Uh, and yeah, I think that's what we need to do. I had a, I think after the last shoot, or no, it was, it was when, Cook County like upheld the assault ban. 
yeah. assault weapons ban. And I posted something on Facebook and a conservative friend of mine was like, yeah, but evil's evil. I mean, look at Chicago, South Side, da 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 It's like, yeah. But first of all, those are two very different problems that need to be Completely approached different very differently. Yeah. That's first of all. Second of all, if evil's evil, why have any laws around anything? People are going to have abortions no matter what, so yeah. why make abortion illegal? People are going to burn down houses, so why have fire suppressant? Uh, yeah, yeah, systems. Yeah, why? Why I mean, have like, anything? Shut the fuck up. Yeah, just shut a, the it's fuck a, it's up. It's a lame. It's a lazy argument. Yep. Uh, all right. So my last thing to do this week is uh, it's a watch. Watch Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones. If you haven't seen it, if you have seen it, watch it again. See maybe if there's if things are funnier the second time around or third time around. Are things more in, insightful? Are things more offensive? Uh, and my mine yeah. is a watch that's in a, in a slightly different thing. Is the idea that David Chappelle is stuck in the eighties? Um, <laughs> this is a dare. I did this okay. not so long ago. Um, never been the biggest Norm Macdonald fan. Okay. But I dare you to go to YouTube and search for Norm Macdonald and get sucked into the rabbit hole because that guy, in terms of just blatantly being fat shaming and misogynist and his jokes. And what's interesting about what Norm MacDonald does, um, and I had never thought of this, I'd never seen this before until I really watched a bunch of it, is basically Norm MacDonald's shtick became, I'm going to take these horrible jokes from the 1920s <laughs> and I'm going to pretend like they really happened to me. Like, uh-huh. it was like the, like the idea is like, Hey Dave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just bought a farm. I just bought a farm and you know, you know, I have three daughters, right? You know, I have three daughters, you know, I've got a really beautiful that's a, daughter. That's a pretty good Norman. Yeah, impression. I've, I've, I've got a really beautiful daughter and then, you know, and then I've got like the middle daughter and she's okay. But then I got, yeah, I got a really ugly fat daughter and, uh, <laughs> and I bought a farm, right? You, you know, that I bought a farm. I mean, and, and then he basically just does a fucking, you know, yeah. farmer with three daughters joke, but he does it as if it actually happened to him. I mean, there's a bit. Norm McDonald's great. Well, that's the thing is, I, I just I never really thought he. You know, it's kind of funny once in a while. But when you watch a compilation of him, basically, like there's this whole like here's a whole twelve minutes of Norm McDonald doing fat jokes, and here's a whole twelve minutes of Norm McDonald doing whore jokes. I mean, and, and they're so blunt. Some of them are just. It's like. Yeah, in the news, Madonna just had a baby, uh, six six pounds four ounces, which makes it the fourth largest thing to come out of Madonna. <laughs> I mean, it's just it, so. This is what I'm gonna say: is the guy is totally '80s. But this is my challenge: I want you to go to YouTube and watch this shit, and I dare you not to laugh. I swear, oh, to I'm God, gonna fucking laugh. I laughed. Nonstop. I've always liked Norm Macdonald. I loved even him on the, the news on SNL. Even if it's the same joke, because he would do the same joke over and over and over. He went uh-huh. after OJ Simpson. Just and all oh, yeah. all his joke with OJ Simpson's, he would do a setup and then he would end it with I'm a killer. I mean, that's really his joke. His joke yeah. is you know, he's like in the news. O.J. Simpson is trying fighting in a different court, trying to get custody of his children, and uh, as a way to demonstrate that he was 
you know, uh, uh, worthy of having his children. He says, well, they're still alive, aren't they? I mean, that's his joke. And it's like, I laughed. It's such a stupid thing, but it just fucking made me laugh. So I highly recommend it. Have you seen the film Dirty Work? Yes. Okay. Because that is, I mean, that's the fucking Citizen Kane of it's like shitty, just bad, but dopey. amazing comedy. Yeah, and Don yeah. Rickles is in it. And it's yeah. just, it's just like, yeah, just it's a whole thing that I'm just, I, I had. <laughs> your really your th- Norm Macdonald is really good. I well, thank you. I might actually have a celebrity impression that I can actually do well, and people would know because I can't do fucking anything else. What's the other one that you try to do that never works out? Harry Carey, I never do Harry Carey well. That's the one. That's the one. And um, you, used, do... you, you, you used to do a good Hannah Gadsbury, but... No, no, yeah. Well, my eggs. My eggs are not chocolate. <laughs> and that's the show. Thanks for listening. You can listen to the Literate Ape cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast, Jones. If you enjoy listening to Two White Guys Holding Court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com.